I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. The Future of Mobility Podcast is focused on the pursuit of safe, sustainable, effective, and accessible transportation of goods and people. Given the critical nature of the world's climate and energy needs, these topics have never been more important, and they're certainly important to me. So, this podcast is a weekly interview series in which I learn from and put the spotlight on the people helping to develop and implement the technology required to move us forward. Who am I? As mentioned, my name is Brandon Bartnick, and I'm an engineer who realized that making a positive impact is the most important thing to me, both through this podcast and my career in the industry. If you're passionate about any of the topics I cover here, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'd love to connect. Also, if you hear anything you like, please consider sharing the future mobility with a friend or colleague. This podcast is brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. Technology innovation is great, but it doesn't mean anything if we can't bring our impactful products to life, which means we have to build them. And unfortunately, that's easier said than done, especially for startups and evolving companies that need a reliable option for low volume builds. That's where we come in. Edison is your turnkey manufacturing partner, specializing in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you need a trusted manufacturing partner, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to reach out to me directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or by visiting my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Now to this week's episode. Today's guest is Alex Meek. Alex is co-founder and president at Moxian Power. Moxian designs and engineers, manufactures, mobile battery energy storage system products and technologies which enable and accelerate the electrification of industries such as construction, transportation, utilities, live events, film production, telecommunications, and defense. So we're talking electrification, decarbonization, adjacent perspective, what I could typically cover here. So it's some of the industries Moxian supporting is transportation and it's charging and electrification of vehicles. Others are things like live events and film productions and utility and stuff. And I don't know, really, really interesting. So we, we talk infrastructure in a lot of ways. This is an aspect of the, the infrastructure question. How do you store large amounts of energy for use by electrified products, whether it's vehicles or something else? And uh, Moxian's got a cool approach here, vertically integrated design, engineering, and manufacturing. We cover a lot of ground. Um, I'll leave the intro here. Please enjoy this conversation with Alex. <laughs> I'm joined by Alex Meek. Alex, thanks for coming to the podcast. Great. Thanks for having me, Brennan. Yeah, I think you, you guys are approaching a uh, unique segment of the decarbonization and electrification space that I'm, I'm excited to explore and get your thoughts on kind of how, how you guys are doing this and the, the role you're playing and all that. So with that said, would you mind uh, introducing yourself and the, and the work you're doing at Moxian? Yeah, of course. Happy to. So my name is Alex Meek. I'm the co-founder and president at Moxian. We are a vertically integrated manufacturer of mobile power products. So we uh, clean sheet design and engineer manufacture at scale, battery energy storage uh, systems designed to be mobile primarily and principally, uh, but also looking at stationary products as well. Uh, so we're based in Richmond, California. Um, everything we do is in-house and um, you know the goal is to uh, really usher in a new era of how temporary power is delivered to customers. Cool, and, and the focus, Maybe I'll stop. The, I, I won't push back on the, on the business model, model quite yet. I'll give you a chance. So, so how, how did you guys get into in, into the space? Why, why is this where you're focusing? 
Yeah. Uh, well, the, I guess the origin story, my, my business partner. So there's, um, I'm one of, of, uh, a total of four co-founders and, uh, my, my business partner, Paul Hillskamp, who's my uh, co-founder and CEO, we were on a hike. It was, was during 2019, the fire season. So, uh, here where we, where we live, uh, uh, in a little town called Mill Valley, California in Northern California, there, um, is, was power safety shutoff events happening which uh, effectively the utility will shut off power um, in instances where there's um, either fire or danger of fire. Uh, so we've, we've um, as I think most people know, lived through a number of years of just um, uh, either high uh, danger to fire through uh, direct exposure or just through air quality. Um, so during that time, you know, our town was effectively running off diesel generators, the coffee shop, uh, the grocery store. We're on a hike and there's a diesel generator powering the the water utilities uh, up on our hike and we asked the question you know why is this here shouldn't there be a better solution shouldn't there be a better technology and um, we got to looking and we didn't see anything in the market uh, and saw a really big unaddressed market opportunity for bringing just a better form of temporary power to to the industry um, there hasn't been any innovation in the last 100 plus years and um, we just saw a, a big market opportunity to make real impact and where can you can you like where, where's the market segmentation? So I think the and it sounds like maybe this isn't the case for, for you guys, but I think the majority of products with a form factor like this that I've seen seem to be focused on EV charging, temporary EV charging. Is that part of the market you're addressing? And if so, how we I guess well, what is the total spread of, of markets where you're addressing? Yeah, yeah, EV charging absolutely right. It's a big um, new market, new market opportunity. Um, traditionally, temporary power is uh, described as anything that um, will require uh, a diesel generator. Um, and so those historic applications are the construction industry, the film, events, entertainment, utilities, uh, uh, utilize temporary power. So those are, those are very large, uh, obviously large industries, um, also getting into defense applications. So the government um, uh, is supporting the military. Uh, so there's pretty wide <coughs> aperture in terms of temporary power is, is pretty ubiquitous. It's, it's everywhere in the background uh, of how, of how um, you know, our, our economy runs. Um, but we are really, um, yeah, I guess, narrowing our, our first product in go-to-market is really within the mobility space. And so um, our first product, the MP75600, is uh, towable and movable. And so you can bring that into uh, places around that uh, historically, you know, a diesel generator can can provide power to and um, we're able to get energy storage in those locations. Yeah, cool. And um, that that makes sense. I'm glad. So when I hinted at, I was going to push back a bit on, on the business model on that. I mean, the the EV charge, the temporary EV charging space, that's a, a there is some need now, but it's, small these things are expensive they're more expensive than the upgrade i mean yeah it's kind of a band-aid solution it feels like it's a band-aid solution until utilities and power can get upgraded but if you expand the solution set to include all these other things that, that you mentioned maybe not even focused on um, kind of the, the short-term band-aid for ev charging infrastructure then i imagine there's a much more sustainable business model out there yeah and you know it's going to take a long time for that infrastructure to happen and so the way that we'd kind of describe it as front-run infrastructure, um, places like uh, the state of California where you're waiting years for an upgrade uh, to your site, 
that can include uh, EV charging depots. It can in- include just general um, general you know operating of a warehouse or uh, any any business operation. And so um, bridging that gap is a real need when um, you're looking at years out. Uh, so part of that sort of market is is really supporting on the EV fleet side, uh, certainly until you know permanent infrastructure. And permanent uh, infrastructure won't solve 100% of the solution. There will always be some need for mobility, some former need of build out. Um, but but you're correct in that that is one of many um, overall you know addressable market opportunities for us. And how, how do you think about? And I mean, maybe I'm just nitpicking specific use cases that are in my mind. So I, I realize that's that's probably what I'm I'm doing here. But so I, I think about as well like the. Uh, where you've seen some of these things deployed, or like where, where diesel's deployed, it's, it's often, yeah, it's places where it's hard to get energy. So you'll have something where you, you have a diesel generator and it's running and you can easily bring, you can, you can bring it to, to go and get additional energy or you can bring a tanker and, and top it off. Or like if, if you're in a remote area in Utah or whatever, right, you can you can have that. And there's been some people approaching that problem by saying, well, rather than battery electric, maybe let's look at a hydrogen fuel cell, for example, and you can have a tanker of, hydrogen who comes and use that as your non-emission like a zero emission um at the source generator as opposed to the diesel but how do you think about the places where a full battery electric solution makes sense versus where yeah, maybe there's limitations and it makes more sense to go with something with a, a more easily uh, movable uh, energy source yeah, the um, it's a it's a good question. There there is limitations on the um, supply chain side of things, right? And so, um, how do you how do you uh, deliver energy and how do you uh, sustain energy in in those types of environments? Which historically, temporary power there's a requirement for ongoing sustainment. So you have a, a typically historically a generator. It's got a certain amount of runtime, and you will need to have a scheduled refueling. Um, and so that is a um, a very common um, um, model today. Uh, it's it's you know practice in in all the industries I named. Uh, you, you typically will have a tanker truck that will pull up to a construction site on a daily or weekly basis and top the tanks off of construction equipment and and generators. Um, and so it really requires one to rethink that entire business model, and that's something that we are doing. Um, in instances where you need ongoing sustained uh, temporary power uh, that lasts longer than the duration of the battery, we have uh, an energy solutions business that we're standing up. So we're, we're opening physical locations across the country where we will provide a service within um, a certain you know radius to customers to to provide ongoing service, and that's really described as we will have a depot of um, mobile energy storage units. We'll deliver to a customer and we'll provide a swap service for uninterruptible power for the duration of their need. Um, mm-hmm. And so that is really uh, something that that um, really we see as, as required if you're kind of moving to the end game of rethinking how electrons are moved throughout society when you're replacing um, traditional forms of, of, um, of, of fuel and energy. Um, absent that, and you know, as that business model gets up and running, and others that we encourage to do as well, we have software that enables anyone to do that and to run that business. Um, is you can run in hybrid mode with with a generator, and so uh, in those instances, you can reduce fuel and run times on the generator by seventy to ninety percent, where the battery sits in front of the load, and then the generator will just recharge the battery, 
um, and you you really create a lot of efficiency because a battery has perfect load flexibility versus running on idle. Um, and so uh, uh, there is still a model which, uh, until we kind of make that full transition, where you can sustain operations in a hybrid mode as well. well and I, I I don't think I fully caught so the software you provide. What what is the the functionality there? Yeah, so it's called Moxie OS. We have the ability to have uh, perfect insight on data telematics um, of the unit itself, right, of one of our units. And so you can see um, runtime, um, how much how much uh, line loading you have, depending on the different voltage modes you're running at. Um, you can you can understand when you're going to be you know time till empty. Um, and uh, a part of that that we're also building out is a service that uh, really allows us to enable running a sophisticated uh, business that is that is really run on on software and that. Uh, allows us to have perfect insight into those assets when we need to send a driver, um, how we think about you know charging at our, our own depot, um, charging strategy. So there's a lot that goes into running an efficient business model that um, that is done through software. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And I mean, it's maybe not not uncommon in the, the EV world as we're getting into the, the implementation phase and the growth now, but like there's some really interesting system optimization problems and like, this is complex multivariable stuff that I'm sure I couldn't just sit in front of a screen and figure out the optimal pattern for who's how, you, how you're deploying assets in certain ways and who's doing what, right? So yeah, I imagine that's not a simple problem. Yeah, it's it's um, historically, um, you know, in any form of, of rental business, uh, it is or, or long term leasing, right? It's, it's sort of run on paper and clipboards um, and, you know, filing information. <laughs> it, it can be historically um, pretty, pretty inefficient. Um, and while um, while certainly companies that are providing types of rental services are, are you know, optimizing technology, uh, that insight never really existed before with understanding um, power, right? So if you're using a, a generator, uh, as an example, getting that insight on um, the load, on you know your run times, on how efficient that operation is, it hasn't ever really existed. It just, um, and so uh, today with the ability to have that perfect insight with, with you know, uh, an electrical system and energy storage, uh, you can now get those insights. You can extrapolate that information and that data and really make informed decisions out of it on how to run a business um, and, and how to kind of see patterns. So there's just, we, we view it as a hard requirement um, in order to kind of successfully run this business and business model. And you have mm -hmm. companies now that are so focused on tracking. So looking at carbon emissions reductions, how efficiently are they running their operations? And so providing that data in real time, uh, we found that it's really useful for customers. How can you expand a bit more on the, the the revenue model? So, so to what extent is this? You're providing energy as a service, and you're getting paid for amount of energy versus a product of yeah your your, your units, and then the software that comes with it. With the, or like what what's the core revenue model? Yeah, so we I mean we have I guess it's yeah you know, it's really two different distinct business models. One is we sell direct to customers who want to purchase and own and self operate our assets. And then we also have a service model, which um, customers that might not want to own our assets can uh, long-term lease or rent them. And so part of that service is um, effectively understanding the duration uh, of that, what their needs are, do they need a swap service, and, and providing that asset for, for the, the term of, uh, of a lease or a rental. 
Um, and, and so uh, in, in that instance, that is under the energy solutions business where um, we effectively charge in the form of a, of a rental rate. Uh, there's a swap fee, there's a delivery fee. And uh, what comes with that is access to the software. So we keep it very basic. You have, um, you, you know, you have a, a few different rates that you can understand on basically rental and swap fees. Um, and um, many customers will choose to rent rent an asset versus own it because uh, a lot of times they might need it for a shorter duration. Think about a wedding or you know construction site for three months. Um, a, a lot of times it's just a um, n- not a year round uh, occurrence or need for temporary power. And how, how did you guys pre- or go after product requirements and, and product def- definition? So define right like when, when you have this idea of let's have this this mobile charging system, throw some batteries on it, you get some power electronics, thermal management, you have a trailer that you put it on with some structure around like I think the the external framework comes together pretty quickly, but then like the it feels like the difficult question is okay, how do you how do you spec everything specifically mm-hmm. for the type of customers that are likely to u- utilize this thing? Can you can you share any insight in the how, how what that process looked like and how you thought about yeah. that? Yeah, and it's an ongoing process. Um, you know, we try and take a first principles principles approach to product design development, and um, you know, with that in mind, we we started from the ground up, um, and you know, uh, understanding what is in the market today, and uh, what can we bring to market that is consistent with what has traditionally existed, um, and how you kind of translate that is to a power. So, um, how much power you might need. Um, what the most common power need or requirement is within an industry using temporary power. And then what are those runtimes, right? What's the traditional runtime on a tank? And so kind of working backwards from, okay, what does that translate into uh, how we can deliver power, how much energy storage is required? Um, and, you know, we, we kind of uh, came up with a, a starting um, product that that really covers a wide variety of, um, of, 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 of range of power range, um, you know, arguably 50 plus percent of maybe it's 60% of like the temporary power need with our first product, um, I'm being able to cover and we can talk about a product, but it, it provides continuous power up to 75 kilowatts at 480. Um, and so in anything in between that power range, uh, with our perfect load flexibility, we, we can, we can supply, um, supply that load. And so, um, that's our first instance of uh, bringing something to market. And now we're really looking upstream and downstream to bring both bigger products and smaller products, higher power products, um, and higher energy density products to market that really actually cover the full range from residential all the way up to, um, you know, utility and, and grid scale. And do you, what's the basis for like a, a customer to want to adopt this? Is it primarily regulations is it some type of esg or or marketing initiatives or Mm -hmm. maybe the more direct like what what when is the break-even point Uh, i mean imagine this isn't a cheap system from like batteries aren't as cheap as a as a diesel engine right so what 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 are the kind of financial constraints that you have and like what's what's the case look like for someone to use your system as opposed to a traditional diesel generator yeah i mean the financial constraints you know our products are more expensive than traditional temporary power means um, when you look at the all-in cost of ownership, though, over a set period of time for our products, our operating life, um, you know, goes from 10 to 15 to 20 years, depending on how um, uh, how you're utilizing, how many times you're cycling it, and 
where the state of health is, um, and you can operate an asset long long beyond a state of health um, that's in a useful life for, for us is around 80 to 70 percent after 10 to 15 years of use. Um, and, and so, you know, when you kind of run that calculation, you you get pretty close to parity on um, on the all in cost of, of a comparable asset. You factor in um, tax credits. We're a beneficiary of the, the investment tax credit, the ITC. Um, so, so there is a credit available for, for um, buyers who have who have um, that appetite, and you know it's um, uh, the 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 pull, right? I guess what is the pull into this this um, these different market segments? It's really the end customer that is looking for a few things, right? They're looking to decarbonize their operations. Um, they have uh, many times if they're public companies, they have stated carbon emissions reductions goals. They're tracking scope one through three emissions. Um, and when you look at um, industries like construction um, and under other industries like film or entertainment, uh, the big the big contributor is um, is obviously carbon emissions. And you can back into temporary power being um, a meaningful contributor to that. Um, and if it's not temporary power, it's, it's the other machines. And we can talk later about that, how we're sort of helping usher in a new era of electrified equipment, like construction equipment, and we're the, mm -hmm. you know, supporting a charging solution for that as well. Um, so it's that it's that kind of tailwind from, from those um, carbon emissions goals that are bringing a product adoption like ours. And uh, what we are really trying to showcase is, of course, you get the benefit of that. Uh, of course, you know, it's perfectly silent, right? So in instances of, um, safety in instances of uh, being all quiet on set. Um, there, there, are, there are many benefits to having no noise in addition to no emissions. Um, and the, the, the real benefit, right, um, of, of course, all those things stated is it's just a better way to, for, to have power delivered. You, you know, a battery uh, delivers the power that's needed when it's needed. It, it, do, it doesn't run on idle all day long. And um, so when you really understand how the application uh, works, the efficiencies you get, and then making the dollars and cents pencil, uh, it just becomes a no-brainer. So we think that there's going to be a snowball effect of adoption, I think, once customers come to realize that all-in cost of ownership. And certainly as we scale, our price will come down over time as well. Yeah, cool. And you, you already touched on it. That was one point I was going to raise of like, the, the noise, right? And anyone who's been next to a diesel engine for, or not a diesel generator for some time, like, you you wish it wasn't there <laughs> like the the sound isn't isn't fun i mean also yeah there's the emission aspect and the environmental friendliness also like it breathing in diesel like even though diesel engines are pretty clean like you you stand there long enough and like you, you feel a little lightheaded and just not 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 a good situation right so how do you i guess can you you already hinted at it but the uh, the construction thing so this is super interesting um the i, I don't i feel like I didn't until a few a couple of years ago, and I feel like a lot of people don't think about yeah construction electrification makes sense, but also like you have these fleets that are moving all over the place. So like even if there was electricity to a specific spot, like the, they're not they're not at that spot all all the time. So can can you talk about the the role that yeah you guys are playing in whether it's construction or forestry or mining or electrification of some of these off highway applications? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's an interesting one, right? We're still in the very early innings of uh, how these in industries are starting to electrify. Um, but but what we what we do, you know, regardless of industry is we're, we're last mile electrification. 
So we we you know meet meet the grid. Uh, we 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 meet the customer um, based on where where they need to be. That is that is off grid. Um, and so how does that translate right into industries like forestry or mining or or construction, where um, you know historically you either uh, are waiting for some time to get a, a fixed connection, maybe never, um, or, or somewhere in between, and um, how we can show up with not only our product but our service model to provide um, you know charging appropriate power and charging to uh, to that equipment, um, in addition to just the overall operations, right? Whether it's lighting, charging other other you know uh, uh, tools um, on on film set, charging camera equipment, right? There's just so much need that is um, really uh, across across you know the need from EV to to kind of historical temporary power. Um, it, it just is a, a no brainer for uh, a lot of these uh, um, end customers and other OEMs that are looking to make the transition to uh, an electrified you know industry. Cool. Yeah, and and if if you don't mind kind of transitioning to the the production st- strategy, so what. What went into the decision to have this vertical integration that you mentioned and to, to be producing these things yourself? Yeah, it's um, speed to um, speed to really um, market. And, and that's a little bit counterintuitive, right? Because um, historically, when you're vertically integrated, um, you know, your development cycles are a lot longer. But what it gives us is ultimate control and back to making sure we deliver the requirements of the customer. Uh, and having a lot of autonomy to do that, um, we're, we 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 uh, have that concerted effort to to do most of that, um, you know, engineering in house. So um, we we've seen a ton of benefit. Uh, we are miles above any competition related to any anything from um, having multiple phase AC output modes to the amount of energy storage. We have the most volumetric and gravimetric energy density by miles of, of anyone, you know, in, in the industry. Um, and, um, and also cost because we do everything in house. Uh, we are, we are way cheaper than, than, than anyone else. A lot of, a lot of our competition there, um, using a lot of off the shelf products and you, you have limitations, limitations to that, whether it's the inverter or how much energy storage or cost, cost of, cost of, you know, cells or modules or packs, um, all that adds up pretty quickly. And so, we, we identified early on that if we run a really take going back to a first principles approach, designing something that is completely novel from the ground up uh, and being able to build a lot of protectable IP into our product, it was just a, a requirement to do that. And we've seen a tremendous amount of benefit in, um, in taking that upfront CapEx uh, and, and turning that into um, a product that we can deliver cost affordably at scale. So you guys are to have developed or are, and then continue to develop like all the way from yeah, power electronics and, and battery cells on, on the way up? Yeah, so um, we we do not get into cell manufacturing and so uh, vertical integration, I guess, with a grain of salt, right? There's some areas that we mm-hmm. will never uh, get, get that far upstream and um, there, there are many obvious reasons to, uh, for us, not, not get into, say, cell manufacturing. Um, and um, there are certain areas where uh, you know, we we have outsourced suppliers that that um, work with us on on custom parts uh, and, and items that, again, um, some of the things that we're still not doing in house is metal bending um, and and um, elements of fabrication, right? Where mm-hmm. where um, some of those activities are outsourced, but everything is is kind of designed um, uh, by us and, and to spec as a requirement. So um, 
you know, we, we, um, we intend to, you know, our strategy is to be cell agnostic, uh, and, and technology agnostic. So we are able to, uh, adapt with, um, the future of, um, you know, other forms of more energy dense solutions, whatever that might be, uh, that that's, that's an element for us that we try and remain nimble, uh, on, on that side. Cool. Yeah. And I, I don't know how closely tied in this, this or not, but like the, the manufacturing question is always, always interesting, right? So the, especially for software electrification type companies, right? It's, it's kind of the cliche right now is of Elon Musk says, you know, manufacturing's hard and it, it, it can be. And there's a lot of examples of it. It's difficult. And I guess maybe the question I'd, I'd be curious to get from your side, like what, what have you seen as, as the hard part? So, so is it the, it well, or is it just it's overhyped that it's hard and it's, it's been it's been just kind of a breeze. But is it in the development of manufacturing processes and the way in which you're handling it? Is it in the execution of that manufacturing? Is it in the supply chain management and material flow and, and shortages? Is it an operational ex- like what, what, I don't know, at a high level? What do you think about as kind of when you when you look at the in-house production, the way you guys are performing? Yeah. What what are the critical spots and and the points where you have to put a lot of attention? Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, we we have a really fantastic team of of folks that have been doing this for their career um, within the EV space or just traditional manufacturing. And so um, that's really helped us to um, move past some of the stumbling blocks that a traditional startup might go through. Mm -hmm. And um, so we've actually done a great job executing on our our production and and scale out on that side. Um, Of of course, it's hard. Of course, it's difficult, right? Um, You can have a great idea. You can you can. Um, you know, a design engineer, something uh, on paper that looks great, uh, but putting that into practice, right? So um, really on the systems engineering side, uh, just a lot of work to, um, to to make sure, you know, we have thousands of parts and components in the bill of materials. Um, we have, um, uh, because we're doing everything on the software side, the firmware side, all that systems integration is incredibly complex. Um, so, so that is one area that when you're, when you're, when you're doing something really new, um, and you're, you're in uncharted territory, uh, it's, it's going to be hard, right? Um, you're, you're kind of going from zero to one, um, on the manufacturing side, we, um, you know, we're, we're not manufacturing a vehicle, right? And so, um, uh, even though there's a lot of complexity that, that goes into it, the automation side of things is where, um, you run into, uh, a lot of work, both upfront and ongoing. Uh, and so we brought in a, um, automation into our process, right? So we do module manufacturing in-house um, that, that's almost a fully automated uh, assembly line. And so that's where you kind of run into getting really out in front of um, the design and, um, and manufacturing engineering side of things. And then not everything's perfect, uh, even when things are running. Uh, and so if there's any hiccups and challenges, it's kind of scaling up uh, on that side of, th- of the house. You know, from a strategy perspective, we we um, our, our goal is to really think about our products from a platform perspective and what's what are the adjacent or offshoots or what's scalable with kind of the, the foundation of, of platform um, so that we're not having to go through entirely new uh, design and, and engineering cycles. We're kind of building off of of the platform that we're building. And so that's been the really challenging part, again, going from zero to one and doing it in the amount of time we've done it. And we've run into we've run into hiccups. It's it, when you're moving this fast, you're you're going to run into issues. And so we've had our fair share, but um, at the same time, we've um, maybe a little bit of luck, but we've we've um, we've had a lot of success starting manufacturing at scale this year. Cool. Yeah. Good. Good hearing. And then 
Sorry, I imagine going deeper in manufacturing probably than, than you're expecting. I guess context side, my, my day job, I lead a contract manufacturer who builds this type of stuff and electric and autonomous vehicles and stuff. So it's it's always great to get uh, get different opinions on, right? So we, we see from component up to, up to the vehicle level some things, but it's always, it's it's interesting as someone in the, the ver- who's taken a more vertically integrated integrated approach and how, how you guys have thought about it and um, yeah, the, whatever roadblocks have come up and, the, and those types of things. So appreciate the input. So the uh, so yeah, I guess maybe if you don't mind further further left left turn here. One one of the things I really enjoy as well about the the podcast and opportunities here is to talk to people who have building cool companies and exchange exchange notes, right? And kind of the I don't know the the underlying thing is I I care about safe, sustainable transportation. Care about but like the technology development and deployment is it is a piece of that, but you also, you need to be able to build a successful business around that. And like, right. The, the work you guys are doing right now is, is awesome, but it, it means a lot more if you're doing this at scale five years from now than it does. If you are, if you, if you fail to kind of grow and, and build the culture and the organization you want to, and that's, that's also how I think about my own business. So, um, what as you've taken on this role and been growing the company, like what, what stands out to you as kind of key lessons or philosophical things that you picked up about what what it takes to successfully you know get a get a startup to the stage you are now and then how, how are you thinking about growing from here yeah boy uh, that's that's a that's a big question um <laughs> so many answers in there right yeah uh, starting a business is hard right no, no matter what you're doing um and th- there are just many roadblocks along the way, um, or challenges or, or, you know, milestones or things to overcome. And so early days, right. You're in convincing mode. You know, you, you, you have an idea, you have a napkin idea on paper and, and you have your own conviction, um, and it's convincing others. Um, and so being able to do that, right. And to whether it's raising capital or bring on talent, you know, that early on into the business, uh, to convince a customer to buy your product, you know, there, there are just so many things early on that you just have to, know that you're going to wake up every day and, you know, run at the wall and it's going to be painful and it's going to suck. Um, but, but if you have perseverance and you have conviction and passion in what you're doing, um, you know, you're, you're going to break through, right. You're, you're going to find a way. Um, and so, you know, that, that's been a, a test of, of, of courage and, um, with, with, you know, my team, my, my founders, uh, our early team and, and now big team as we've scaled, um, and, and so, you know, that's one element it's being, um, also fluid with growth. We're, um, 340 plus people today, about a year ago, we were, um, I don't know, uh, less than that, somewhere in the hundred range before that 20, before that four. And so going through that kind of scale, you have to be really nimble and you have to, um, um, make sure that you are, um, you, you know, kind of bringing in the team and, and passing, passing the reins and, and letting folks with domain expertise, you know, kind of run with, run with things. And so having some of that humility and, and being able to, um, um, know that you've got a, a trusted team when you're, you know, you're building, it's your baby, right. And, and being able to kind of hand it off and, 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 and let things scale. Um, that's, that's another important element. So yeah, many challenges. Um, you know, for me, this is my first time going through scaling a, uh, basically a, a hardware company that's manufacturing at scale. So just a lot of um, lessons, good, bad, and ugly along the way. And so it's just a lot of hard work, grit, determination, curiosity, and, um, um, you know, ha- having having a lot of, of confidence in, in what we're doing. And um, that that gets me out of bed every uh, every day in the morning. So, uh, you know, no, it's, yeah. it's, it's a challenging thing, but um, a lot of reward with it.
if, if I can, can maybe dig in deeper on two two spots. So one, I guess, so, so personally, I have engineering background and I've been in the business side of stuff for a while, but no finance background. So when I got in into this role, I'm very grateful that I have a very confident finance director I can call on who keeps me in, who sat, sat me down more, more times than I like and be like, hey, this, this cash number right here is super important. And this is something that we're going to talk about way more than you ever want. So like, for, for me, that was, that's been a huge learning of understanding cash flow and how, how different financial decisions make in the past and what we're doing today and in, in the future. Is there anything that you think about? I mean, I think you have a much stronger finance background coming into this, obviously, or maybe not obviously, but than, than I do. But were, were there any key learnings or areas where you came into the role and like, well, this is something that I need to, to build out my experience to be competent and, and do a nice job here? Yeah. I mean, my, you know, my background is a bit more as a, I guess, an entrepreneur, um, certainly in the finance world as well. So, um, you know, what brought me out to the Bay Area, I helped raise capital for a, a consumer packaged goods brand. Um, and then along the way, um, I started a, an asset management firm. Uh, and then after that, an impact asset management company um, went to business school. And so I guess everything I've been doing um, for at least midway through my career uh, has been, been um, you know, b- building a company. Um, and so where uh, I've had to really kind of, you know, uh, flex up my, my understanding and knowledge is, um, I'd say, probably outside of the, the, the finance realm. Like I've, 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 I've got a decent understanding of, you know, supporting how we, um, you know, raise capital, make assumptions, um, you know, t- tell a story around a business we're building. Um, but um, cer- certainly having understanding of as we get into the product side of things, um, really understanding the, the, the requirements, um, talking to the customer, making sure that gets translated and testing every assumption um, because, um, you know, we, we need to be driving towards a certain timeline to, to bring products to market and scale. And so I just have to have an understanding of the inner workings of our products. And, and for me, that's just been absolutely fascinating. Um, it's just been a new chapter of my life. Uh, to, to be able to to get involved in something I never thought, for, quite frankly, I would, um, and and the amount of I think joy and 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 how that's enabled me to to kind of, to kind of grow that area um, has just been been a part of just being fascinated by it. So um, you know that t- taking taking kind of that entrepreneurial that that kind of zero to one. How do I how do I um, <laughs> build build a build a pitch deck? How do you you build up some financial assumptions? How do you tell a story? How do you raise capital around that? Um, but then getting into the, okay, we have the capital now that now the real work happens, you know, yeah. hitting, hitting timelines, deadlines, hitting costs, uh, that that's, that's where the, the challenging stuff happens. And so, um, it's, it's been great just, just getting to go through that. And, um, so far we've been very successful at it. Cool. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if you similar, but like one of the, one of the things that I've found is like. I, I always enjoyed like playing video games when I was younger of like the dynasty mode of like, yeah, you, you play the game, but it's, it's kind of cool. How do you put all the pieces together and build up, you know, and like in sports games and get like recruiting, but your coach is better and everything like, and like abstracting that out, like that's the piece that's really exciting to me is like keeping all the balls in the air. And I think you were just alluding to it and like, yeah, you, you have to go do something, but then also you have to keep all these other things in mind and not drop all the balls. And, and obviously you're not doing any of it in isolation, right? Like you got to, very competent team and you, know, you have a growing team but that, that's been super fun and i guess maybe the last question in this vein that i'd, I'd be interested so that the personal or the the person leadership and growth perspective so 
specifically now, I mean, now that you're in the stage of hundreds of people at the company, is there any, are there any resources or things that were critical that you, you learned from or that you might point someone to? It's like t- taking the step from, you know, individual contributor to leading others, which you had probably done otherwise, but then getting to leading leaders and then leading leaders of leaders and like growing up this chain and, and building a culture where people are doing a good job and you're not just right in the, in the mix. Anything that you'd point people to of like how you learned to do that well? Ah, uh, boy, you know, um, s- some of it, you just have to go through it. Um, but, but you certainly need to be premeditated, right? So, um, you know, you want to be thoughtful as you're scaling your team and people you're bringing on and who you thought might have been really impressive today might not be impressive six months or a year from now. And so really set your target on who is your dream hire. Like if, if you could pick anyone in the world, you know, to come on and be part of your team, who is that person? You know, start from there. And um, mm. and uh, we, we turned a little bit of that dream into our reality. Um, we, we were lucky to get some key folks like Josh Ensign on the team. He was the vice president of manufacturing for Tesla, uh, then went on to be C-suite at Proterra, um, and he was an advisory board member. And so he had just been across and, and kind of tracking and been involved in the progress um, from an earlier stage. And when the time came for for Paul and I to, uh, to to put the pitch on to convince him to join us, we were at a stage where it just um, we, we'd, we'd proven a lot already and we were showing we were showing along the way that that traction. So, you know, start early, right, with with folks that that you may want to be advisors into the business or at some point join um, and then, you know, pr- and then execute along the way. Um, and, and, and time you will get those folks to, to come on the team, uh, in whatever form or fashion. And so just, um, you know, know that things change really rapidly when you're starting a new business and set your sights really high. Um, and you'll, I think you'll surprise yourself. And so that's been a willing, winning element for us is convincing some key team and and doing that really early versus hiring some of those key positions a little too early. And, you know, you might be stuck with that, that person for the duration, or you might have to have a difficult conversation f- further down. And so um, that, that's one thing that's wor- really worked great is find areas that, um, that either um, myself or others as a leader are, are weak on or need help with or at the business level and, and go, go chase that top talent and, and, you know, hold yourself to really high standards. Um, and so that's been, been really helpful for us. Cool. Well, yeah, I think that that's great, great advice. I appreciate that. And so, yeah, Alex, this, this has been a lot, a lot of fun. I, I feel like I kind of, <laughs> I, I dove deeper than than usual for the first half. So, I appreciate you. Uh, you, I mean, I'm, I'm, this product is this type of thing is something I've thought a lot about, and was excited to get the chance to to dive deep into coming some of the questions I had in my mind. So, hopefully, you don't mind the kind of the the hard pressing questions and, and spots there. But uh, yeah, I appreciate it. it's cool cool to hear what you guys are doing. I mean, I think the product makes sense there's, there's there's a need there cool to hear how you how you guys are growing um i'll leave it for you kind of the the last question or thoughts and anything we missed here or independent of that anything you want to to leave the listeners with yeah well uh just really appreciate being being a part of uh uh the the podcast here and um you know f- for us as as we're kind of building a business um, just, just being able to kind of provide any, any anecdotal insight I can to, to others and listeners that are interested. And, uh, we obviously have a long way to go as a business. Um, but we're just thrilled to be here, uh, and in this space and being able to, to talk with folks like yourself. And so, 
um, yeah, we're, we're just happy to be here. And uh, I hope uh, to continue the dialogue with you in the future. And so any opportunity to get back on uh, online or offline would, would love that opportunity. And um, really, thank you for, for the opportunity to bring me on. It's, uh, it's, it's a real treat. Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate you joining and uh, best of luck. All right. Thanks, Brandon. Well, there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Alex Meek. What stands out? So a couple things. One, this niche aspect of infrastructure and electrification. It's really, really interesting. I think there is a need here. It's Moxie and there's a few other companies trying trying to serve this market, but it's, it's, it's cool to see the work and the product and how they've come up with the solution and how they're offering it and explaining that. Also, the other thing I was going to highlight, the manufacturing aspect, right? So we, we spent some time here, but talking about this is obviously what I do in my day job at, at Edison, so I'm interested here. But I also think it's really important, and it's a critical aspect of this. How do you effectively build this thing? How do you build out the supply chain, the manufacturing processes to consistently, reliably, and in a cost-efficient manner build these products at scale if you're not coming from a traditional manufacturing background? And it's, yeah, Alex had some, some good answers. It was fun exploring here. Um, overall, really interesting, cool work, like I said. Um, I, I enjoyed it. Hopefully, you did too, as always. Really appreciate you listening, and there's more to come next week. Thank you for listening to the Future of Mobility podcast brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. If you have a need for a trusted manufacturing partner for low volumes of highly complex products, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to shoot me a note directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or visit my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Edison specializes in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you're making an impact in the mobility space, we'd love to help. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Future Mobility Podcast.